welcome to Smiling in Hell 2.0, Life After Retirement and Then Some. I'm your host, Larry Peterson, regaling you with uh, recordings of some blogs that I've written over the last year since I left the world of the working man and entered another chapter or level of Smiling in Hell. Today is chapter 21. Wow, 21, you kidding me? Uh, and that doesn't include the one that I didn't include that doesn't include the one that I didn't include, um, which was a Christmas letter. But this one's chapter 21. It's called The Bunrate Nightmare. And oh, there aren't many things that really scare me. I mean, I have a natural fear and respect for snakes since I don't know which ones are our friends. But uh, spiders don't give me much cause for alarm. I don't like rats. And have had several opportunities in the past to send a few to a rat heaven. Uh, my greatest fear of dying is death by fire. Probably my biggest concern, albeit not a fear, is not being able to provide for my wife and daughter. And the possibility that a current government administration will do everything they can to siphon the modest but comfortable nest egg I've worked my whole adult life, along with paying taxes and contributing to Social Security, to secure. Social Security. That scares the bejesus out of me. But over the years, I've taken a few chances and risks that were probably not very smart at the time. While I've never skydived out of a perfectly good airplane, I did, as I've mentioned before, jump from the roof of a buddy's garage into a not very soft pile of sand, wherein I felt my spine play tag with my skull in the process. I've snorkeled alone off beautiful Cozumel Island, except for enjoying the company of a smiling barracuda, the fish, not the car, within easy reach, had he or she wanted to nibble. I've wandered the streets of London, Paris, New York, and even Lincoln, Nebraska in the wee hours, not really knowing where I was and probably not sure where I was going. But I returned home, fortunately, unscathed. Other than experiencing a scary day in the middle of a lake in an inflatable raft with my wife during a sudden strong, like out of the nowhere thunderstorm, or worrying about experienced death by a bully after school in junior high, or driving airborne into a drainage ditch in a very humane effort to avoid hitting a dog in the road, I have fortunately not had too many close calls in my life. But there was one night where I really thought, through a total lack of good judgment on my part, I might have just bought the farm, kicked the bucket, cashed in my chips, etc. As mentioned in a few earlier Smiling in Hell episodes, I've been lucky enough to enjoy a number of great trips and travels over the years. Some of these have been with my wife and daughter, and some with other members of my family. But some of the more adventuresome adventures and misadventures were with a merry band of feller Feller, fellow actor buddies I had enjoyed uh, acting in community and semi-professional theater with in Charlotte, North Carolina. I know, don't quit your day job, right? Which is a chapter coming up. Anyway, one of these untoured adventures was recently highlighted in the Smiling in Hell chapter called The San Malo Knuckles of Valor. It was, however, on just <coughs> such another wanderlust-filled trip that I found myself on an international sojourn to Ireland during the St. Patrick's Day holiday, actually more of a non-holiday in Ireland, 
and I was with a veritable repertory company of miscreants, which I had the mighty good fortune to call friends. Among the group were uh, several married couples, but we single folks didn't hold that against them, and a few romantically involved couples that a few of our small group of singles envied a bit. All in all, a terrific and eclectic group of travelers. Now, most of the group were able to start their vacation a little earlier and had a couple of days to enjoy in London before I was uh, to join them in Ireland. I was, however, not alone in that one of the voyagers, Betty, a semi-single lady whose boyfriend was unable to join her, and I were to meet at the Charlotte airport so we could fly over together. And uh, now seeing that Betty was very sweet, smart, funny, and easy on the eyes, Keeping her company was not an arduous chore. Knowing, however, that she was involved, I was more than willing to be good and just provide her with my questionable brand of humor and charm, uh, such as it is. Anyway, we hit it off, had a fun, amiable, and fairly fluid flight to Ireland. So it was that after a few days of touring the Shannon area, including some magical time in Galway, Limerick, gamboling the hills around the cliffs of Moor, and more than a few potable pints along the way, Betty and I found ourselves in the hotel watering hole one evening while our fellow travelers meandered out in their own directions. While Betty and I sipped our lagers and discussed what to do with our, quote, free evening, a fellow patron in the bar sauntered. Really, he sauntered over and in a very classy Irish brogue, asked if we would mind if he joined the Americans. Of course, not wanting to be considered one of those bloody Americans, we said, sure, graciously pulled up a chair and invited him to sit. After all, he seemed to uh, be a pretty classy dude probably in his late 30s, early 40s, distinguished head of gray hair, and he had on a very nice, pricey-looking suit and tie. He also seemed to be fairly well-known by a handful of regulars in the bar. So, uh, despite having grown up knowing all about stranger danger, we continued to socialize with this dapper and erudite Irishman, whose name we learned was Daglin. I, of course, made a mental note not to take any candy from him. We continued making idle chatter with him for a while, sharing the typical convo topics like where we were from, what we did for a living, a little of our background, and shared info about America, etc. etc. All in all, since we weren't privy to any top-level security secrets, it was a pretty pleasant chat. He was, in fact, a, a veritable wellspring of local knowledge, history, and trivia. It was after a short while that, as we were talking about local lore, Declan asked us, since we didn't have any special plans with the gang that night, if we would be interested in seeing the sleaziest pub and the oldest pub in the area. I looked at my traveling partner, Dujour, who looked back, and we both, knowing better, said, Sure! <laughs> Declan said, Great! and that he would pull his car around front and we'd do a little evening tour of some of the less touristy and more iconic public houses in the area. And off he went. I asked Betty if she was okay with this. I mean, we were about to go off to who knows where in a car with a veritable total stranger in a foreign country at night with no ability to contact our friends since this was in the days before rampant cell phone use. I mean, what could go wrong, right? 
But when Dakeman pulled around to the front of the hotel in a Mercedes-Benz about a city block long, I felt a little better. Betty opted to sit in the back seat. I took shotgun and off we went. It only took about 30 seconds for me to realize that in this part of the world that was known for the beauty of the narrow hedgerow roads, we had absolutely no idea where we were or where we were going. Yeah, a little unnerving as we made our way through the literal maze of dark, tight, traffic-less streets that only occasionally shared the dim glow of a random streetlight. For some reason, I had to work really hard not to make tasteless references to an American werewolf in London, Wuthering Heights, or Hound of the Baskervilles as we continued our weedy travails. Uh, finally, we wandered into a street that was actually fairly well lit and looked remarkably like a little town, village more like it. I mean, it had street lights, signs on the buildings, phone boxes, and more than a few vehicles, mostly trucks, parked along the street in front of a narrow storefront with a thin window and a door lit with the dingy neon of old electric beer and liquor signs. Really uninviting. Well, Daeklin said as he pulled in a nearby parking space, here we are, the sleaziest pub in the area. Oh boy, I said as Betty and I piled out slowly of the big, slowly out of the big car and we followed Daeklin through the grimy door and into the pub. Once inside, we immediately saw that it was, in fact, a really sleazy little dive. It reminded me of the old bars you walked by uh, on, in an old beach town or, or on 42nd Street back in the 70s. But in we went, noticing that the place was filled with men who looked like they were hard-working, earthy, farm-ranch types whose piercing glares and looks of what are you doing here? Made me gulp like Shaggy in a Scooby-Doo cartoon. <laughs> yes, it was more than a little intimidating, but as we made our way to the bar, almost every patron in the joint greeted our host energetically and warmly with pats on the back, hearty handshakes, and a few, welcome back. Seeing how well-known he was, I figured we were in okay company after all. After walking Betty to a kind of sticky seat at a well-stained table and wishing I'd brought some disinfectant or a belt sander, uh, I found out what Betty wanted to drink and wandered to the bar where Declan was enjoying the company of his mates. What a dream, mate, the colorful publican asked as I leaned on the bar. Um, two half pints of lager, please, I said. To which reply, the publican, or that is bartender, and a few other patrons cast a sidelong glance at Daeklin, who, seeing their reaction to my order, made a beeline to my side. What the hell are you doing? He asked, gently clutching my arm and taking me outside, uh, taking me aside. Well, ordering a couple of half pints, I said. I thought we'd start off a little slow, since it's getting late. And at that point, Daeklin interrupted, saying, you can't order a half. Only those kind of men order a half, he said, making a limp wrist gesture with his hand, totally politically incorrect nowadays. It's okay for the girl, he went on, but okay, okay, I get it, I said. Now, not that there's anything wrong with that, but I immediately changed my order to one half lager, and I think I said, give me the biggest beer you've got. 
which was met with a nice smile and a nod from Daiklin and a few chuckles from the Irish cast of Deliverance. Eventually, thanks mainly to the looks that Betty was getting from the gang, we all started to chat, and they even loosened up enough to share a few of the local jokes, like, Do you know why a sheep farmer wears his pants inside of his boots? Uh, no. But to put the sheep's hooves in the boots so they can't run off while they're shagging them. And they all laugh, okay? Or, uh, you know why uh, you see sheep in the field with a broken neck? No, I don't. Well, when sometimes when the sh farmer is shagging them, they'll pull their heads around so they can kiss them. Oh, that, now that's boffo stuff, right? That, that's a true story. Please, no cards or no letters. Well, after another round of great big beers, Daiklin announced that if we were going to make it to the oldest pub in the area, we needed to hit the road. So we made our goodbyes to the boys, which included a lot of hugs for Betty and more than a few scant looks in my direction as we made our way out the door and to the car, uh, trying hard not to touch too much stuff. So that was the silliest pub in the area. Daiklin said as we drove off into the night again. It was fun, Betty said. They were all very nice. A little uh, earthy, but nice. Well, now we're off to the oldest pub in the area. Sounding a little like Ed McMahon, I said, how old is it? Well, originally founded in the late 1600s, Daiklin said as we drove again through the dark, narrow, hedgerow-bordered roads. It has been pretty much in operation the whole time. Uh, maybe not in the original building, but on the same spot. Suitably impressed, we chatted quietly, and after a little while, we drove down a, a dark dirt road into an unpaved parking lot and saw a big barn-like structure in front of us. Here we are, said Daiklin, getting out of the car. You're in luck, too. Tonight's quiz night. As we made our way into the pub, I could see that it was indeed an amazingly old structure. Huge wooden, looked like oak logs, made up the foundation and lower wall of the castle-like barn with a mix-and-match variety of wooden logs and beams that made up the rest of the huge structure. The door was a, a great big updated addition that seemed to have taken the place of the medieval-looking portcullis that hung above the doorway. The dirt-paved parking lot continued through the door and became the plain dirt floor of an amazing high-ceiling, multi-level dichotomy of wood layers and a pastiche of tables and chairs that encircled a huge square bar in the center of the room. Despite being in the middle of nowhere, or so it seemed, the place was busy. People were moving around, talking, laughing, and like the sleazy pub, there were a number of them who greeted Daiklin like the proverbial prodigal son. As soon as we were in, a large man in a flannel shirt and vest came over to us, gave Daiklin a hearty hug, and looked at Betty and me. So who's this done? he asked. These are my new American friends, Daiklin proudly announced. I took them to the sleazy pub, wanted them to see this place. To us, he said, uh, this is Michael. He runs the place. Uh, more like it runs me, but welcome. Tonight's quiz night. We got a lottery drawing if you want to buy a ticket or two. What's the prize? Betty asked. A ten pound cured ham, Michael said proudly. Wow, we both replied and agreed to five 
buy five tickets apiece at about a pound each, about five bucks. Oh, thanks, and good luck, Michael said, handing us our half of the drawing tickets and making his way through the crowd. Daglin stayed with us for a short time, long enough for me to order a couple of drinks for Betty and me, making sure to get a full pint for myself, and eventually made his way to visit with some of the other patrons across the bar. Interesting place, I said to Betty, who was nursing her drink. A lot of history. Mm-hmm, she said. It's getting late, though. I'm getting a little tipsy and tired. I think we ought to be heading back to the hotel. I'll mention it to Daiklin, I said, looking around the room. I'm getting a wee bit weary, too. By the way, did you see any of the gang before we left to tell them where we were going, she asked. I didn't. I thought you were going to tell Toby or Casey. I guess you didn't. Nope, she said. Well, we sat in silence for a few minutes, listening to the quiz event that was going on. Much like Trivial Pursuit on steroids, we noticed that the numerous tables of participants were very enthusiastic about the event and extremely competitive. Being a bit of a trivia puff buff myself, I, I, I tried to engage in the tournament, but uh, quickly discovered that I knew nothing about Irish football league teams, Irish politics, Irish history, or popular Irish music. So I pretty much drank my beer and enjoyed soaking up the culture and historical flavor of the pub. Now, about this time, Michael, the publican, took the microphone from the quiz master and announced that they were going to announce the winner of the evening drawing. Oh, with this, there came a, quite a murmur of excitement and chatter as he took the small barrel that held the stubs of all the tickets that were sold that evening. After effectively shaking the barrel to mix up the tickets and ensure a fair drawing, he pulled the stub and announced the number. It was Betty's number. That's me! Betty shouted excitedly as the rest of the room fell quiet. It was obvious that this outsider was definitely not supposed to win what, to most of the attendees, was a pretty valuable slab o' ham. We have a winner, Michael announced after checking the number on the stub, to which there was an audible groan from the crowd. And here's what Dave won, he said, holding up a huge 10-pound slab of cured ham the size of a Buick. Oh, my God, Betty said, as the room provided a fairly half-hearted round of applause. That's terrific, she said, but what am I supposed to do with that? Uh, make ham sandwiches, I said, looking at the huge hunk of meat as Michael handed it to her. Kind of reminds me of Jerry, I said, referring to one of our fellow actor travelers. At that time, Daiklin wandered over to his, offer his congratulations for the wonderful win. That's shagging great, he said, as Michael handed the meat to Betty, who, buff as she was, struggled to get a good grip on it. Uh, <laughs> she, uh, thanks, she said. Not sure how I'm going to pack it, but it, it sure looks good. I took the opportunity while he was standing there to take Daiklin aside and told him gently that Betty and I were both feeling a little worn out, jet lag and all, and were ready to make our way home to the hotel. Plus, I lied and told him that our friends were probably wondering where we were. He pleasantly agreed that it was getting late and that, sure, we can head back. Making my way over to Betty, I told her the good news that Daiklin agreed to take us back to the hotel and that we would be heading back soon. Or so I thought. Let's head out, 
Daglin said as he joined us at our table. That's great, Betty said, and I both said. We really enjoyed the evening, and thank you so much for showing us around. But what am I supposed to do with this ham, Betty asked. It probably won't pass customs. Daglin laughed and said, I wondered what you'd be doing with that hog. I'm sure there's someone here who would be thrilled to take it off your hands. Who do you suggest? With that, Daglin called Michael over and asked him to suggest someone who we could share our good fortune with who wouldn't consider it charity. Let me handle it, he graciously said and wandered over to a table where an older, notice I didn't say elderly, couple was sitting. He leaned over and whispered to the couple, who seemed very excited about hearing what he had to say. They would love to take that off your hands, Daiklin said with a smile. But they won't take it for free. Uh, tell them they can have it for a pound, we said, which was almost like free. With that, Daiklin took Betty and the ham, sounds like a children's book, doesn't it, over to the couple and presented them with the ham in exchange for one pound coin. We watched as they accepted the gift, and I really thought they were going to cry. It felt good as we felt as we left the bar and, and wandered back to the bends. Uh, thanks for helping with that, Betty told Daiklin as we got in, in the car, and he started up the big engine. No worries, he said. That was really great of you to do that. They really appreciated it. Well, Betty said, to be honest, it, it wouldn't have fit in my suitcase, which brought a nice chuckle from us all. So at that meant uh, that I mentioned to Daiklin that I appreciated him taking us back to the hotel to rejoin our merry band of travelers. As he got behind the wheel of the Benz, Daiklin shared, "Glad to do it. We have to make one more stop along the way. You've got to see." Upon hearing that, I looked over the seat at Betty and asked, "So what are you talking about? Or don't you want to see a real castle?" Daiklin asked. Castle? Betty and I replied, Oh, yes, a real Irish castle, Daiklin said. You've really got to see it. Noticing the reticence in the silence that followed, Daiklin said, It's only a few ticks from here. It's really lovely at night, especially with the full moon. Betty and I shared another quick glance over the seats and both said, We really need to be getting back, but uh, I guess a quick look is probably okay. Lovely, said Daiklin. You won't be disappointed. We'll have one fast peek and then dash you back to your mates. Okay, I said as Daiklin revved up the bends, steered it out of the dark parking lot and back out into the now almost pitch black Hedro Labyrinth Road. We drove in silence for a while as I uselessly tried to spot some historical landmarks, an old building, a Dairy Queen, or even a sign with directions back to the Shire, but alas, t'was nary a landmark or a mountain troll to be found. Finally, after what seemed like an hour on Twilight Zone, the Big Bends turned off the main road, actually a single-lane cow path, and we made our way down a long, winding, foggy gravel driveway that led to the front of a castle. Well, sort of. Okay, it wasn't Warwick Castle, uh, uh, Excalibur in Vegas, or even the facade for a medieval times. Actually, it didn't even look that old. You know, I don't have a degree in castleology, but to my untrained eye, it actually looked like a reasonably big, modern, six-bedroom, four-bath, two-story with a faux exterior in the Camelot Acres subdivision. And nice, but not that impressive. 
great location for a Renaissance festival, though. But Betty and I, still in the car, made the appropriate oohs and ahs as we waited to turn around and basically get the heck out of there. Unfortunately, Daiklin insisted on getting out of the car to get a better look. So, against our better judgment, we slowly got out of the car and walked closer to the castle, again making impressed noises while Daiklin described the restoration and construction of the building. It was then that things started to get a little sketchy. Daiklin started walking away from us and into the wooded area around the castle. Where's he going? Betty whispered, her voice quavering a bit as we watched Daiklin become harder to see in the fog. Daiklin, I shouted. We really need to be getting back, man. It's getting pretty late. Oh, you need to come down here, Daiklin calmly called out to us. It's really lovely down here. By this time, Betty, visibly shaken, had made her way behind a tree and was looking towards where he, we could just make out Daiklin's silhouette in the fog. Come on down here, he kept saying. It's really lovely down here by the water. Water? Betty asked. Must be a pond or something, I said. I have no intention of going down there. Just then, Betty, whose vision was better than mine since she'd only been drinking little girly beers and I'd been drinking big old manly beers all night, said nervously, Do you see someone else down there? I, I think I see another person. Squinting through the fog, I had to admit that it did indeed look like there were now two figures standing in the distance. Well, maybe it's a statue, I offered weakly. I'm scared, Betty said, grabbing my arm in fright. Even in my nervousness, though, I, I knew enough to, to flex my bicep, such as it was, as she held my arm. Ah, it's probably nothing, I said again, hoping I sounded soothing like James Bond, and then called out to Daiklin. We're really ready to go, mate, and, and Betty's a little cold. We'll wait for you in the car. Hoping it was still unlocked, we made our back to the car, and finding it open, crawled in and locked the doors. What should we do? Betty asked. Noticing that Daiklin had left the keys in the ignition, I said, well, if more than one guy comes up out of that fog, I'm going to start the car and get us out of here so we can drive around aimlessly until we find a light or a phone or run out of gas. I hoped my brilliant sense of humor would diffuse her dread, at least momentarily, and was glad to hear a small chuckle from the back seat. We sat there in the dark for a while, peering through the fog towards where the two figures still stood, until finally one of the figures began making its way back in our direction. Eventually, we determined that it was Daiklin strolling very nonchalantly to the car. I unlocked the door so he could get in. It really is nice down by the pond, Daiklin said as he started the car, especially in the moonlight. It's very mystical. You really should have come down. Maybe next time, I said. We appreciate your getting us back to our gang. They're probably starting to wonder where we are. I lied, knowing that our friends were probably so busy partying they hadn't even noticed we were gone. Well, we'll get you right back, Dicklin said. We're actually not that far from the hotel. And with that, the big Mercedes roared to life and we made our way back out into the nocturnal maze of hedgerows. After what seemed like ages, though, we began to view the first signs of civilization, and as the street and store lights became more prevalent, we finally saw the brightly lit Bunratty Castle, a real castle that our hotel sat next to. As Daiklin pulled up to the front of the hotel, we very graciously but quickly offered our utmost thanks for the wonderful, interesting, and enjoyable tour and evening. He accepted our thanks warmly, said he hoped to see us again, and wished us a good night and drove off. Betty and I wordlessly watched him leave and entered the quiet and empty hotel. I was so scared, she said, as she gave me a big hug. 
I know, I said, harmlessly hugging back. I was pretty nervous, too. We hugged for another minute or two, then walked back, walked her to her room where she gave me a platonic kiss on the cheek, said goodnight, and she went in. I slowly moseyed to my empty single room, crawled in the tiny twin bed, said a quick prayer thanking the big guy for keeping us safe, and dozed off with images of foggy figures, sheep with broken necks, and big hams in my head. Well, that's uh, the end of uh, Smiling in Hell. Thanks uh, for listening, and we will see you next time. Have a great day.